Welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. All right. Well, hey, do want to say uh, welcome. I want to welcome all of our locations. Uh, say good morning to uh, Bluffton community. Glad you guys are here in our online campus. Um, and then I want to welcome everybody here in the house. And uh, as uh, Pastor Matt mentioned, uh, if you would open up your Bibles or click over to John chapter 15, that's where we're going to be uh, at for most of our time today. And uh, if you're not familiar, John is actually the fourth book in the New Testament. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and that's where we're going to be. Uh, as you're going there, we're in a series called Supernatural, and what we've been doing is we have been discovering what does the Bible have to say about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been diving deep into clarity and truth about who is the Holy Spirit. Um, What does he do? How does he lead us? How does he transform us? Uh, All of those different types of things. So we're like, uh, we're week six. Uh, We're more than halfway through this thing. So quick question. Uh, How has this, uh, has this series been helpful to you? Uh, Kind of talking about the Spirit and has this been, has it been? Okay, good. All right. Awesome. Well, fantastic. Um, Well, in John chapter 15, what we catch is uh, we see Jesus is literally hours away from being arrested. Um, And then after that, he's going to be killed on the cross. And what he's doing here in John 15, and, and really this whole section of 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, is he's sharing really clear truth with his disciples. And, and one of the truths that he shares is found in John 15, verses 12 through 13. And uh, I want to read this. Actually, let's do this. Uh, that should be up here on the screen. We're going to read John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. Let's read these together um, out loud, starting with, this is my commandment. Are you ready? Go. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so Jesus was telling his disciples, and by extension, because, uh, you know, many of us here today are online or at Bluffton, we are Jesus' disciples. And so he's speaking to us today. He's saying, listen, love one another. The same way that I loved you, the same way that I've shown love to you, I want you to love one another. And what he does, right, he shares that really explicitly in 12, and then he gives this clear definition of what love is, right, how love really gets defined. And and he says this, the the kind of love that I'm talking about, it's going to cost you something, The kind of love that I'm calling you to is going to cost you something. And so to to give some context into what he's talking about and what this cost may be, uh, in in the verses just before this, Jesus is discussing loving one another. He also talked about his disciples bearing fruit. Right? He says, you're, you're going to bear fruit. If you're my disciples, you're going to bear fruit. And this fruit that he's talking about is both a combination of this supernatural life change that we've been talking about these last few weeks, right? Like the Holy Spirit transforming change in our lives. And so that's one side of this fruit that Jesus is referring to. And then the other side of this fruit is that there would be new people who would become disciples of Jesus. There would be new people who would put their faith in Jesus Christ and become his followers as well. And so basically, what Jesus is saying is through your new life in me, 
other people are going to begin to discover new life in me too, right? Because you're changed. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, other people will be transformed as well as a result because you're going to be sharing that with them. And so that's the verses just before. And then there's these verses uh, to talk about loving one another, right? Really clear. And then on the back end of that, Jesus gives uh, more clear truth where he says, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to talk about me. He's going to tell you about me, lead you into truth about me. And then what you're going to do is you're going to take that truth. You're going to take those things you're learning and you're going to tell other people about me as well. Okay, So all of this was wrapped up in there. And so right before these verses on loving one another, he says, you're going to grow and you're going to help other people come to faith. And then after these verses about loving one another in this sacrificial way, he says, the Holy Spirit is going to tell you about me and you're going to tell other people about me as well. And then right in the middle are these commands to love one another. So it begs the question, what do you think Jesus had in mind practically when it came to this idea of sacrificially loving one another, when you think about the context of this, he's probably talking about one of the clearest ways that we can love each other and to love the people around us is to make disciples, is, is to share the gospel, right? It's, it's evangelism. <laughs> you know, like, oh man, he got us. I thought we were talking about love. We're talking about evangelism. Shoot, I should have come next week. Uh, right? <laughs> right? But having conversations about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life is actually one of the clearest, most sincere forms of love that we can share with one another, right? It really is. It's one of the most loving things that we can actually do. And what happens is for, for too many of us, what happens is that when we think about having spiritual conversations with Jesus, or about Jesus with other people, or we even hear about opportunities to share the gospel with people, right? Like, so next Sunday, we're doing this gospel outreach to go out into uh, you know, Finley, Hancock County, and tell people about who Jesus is and have an opportunity to pray with them. When we hear about those opportunities or there's like this invitation, hey, you know, Jesus called us to make disciples, uh, many of us were actually filled with all kinds of emotions, and, and typically not always positive ones. Right? Like uh, some of you right now, the fact that we're talking about evangelism and making disciples and sharing the gospel, like you're, you're sensing anxiety. Like there's anxiety. It's kind of welling up within you right now. For others, it's like fear. Others are, are, are going through an emotion of guilt right now. Right? Some, some are actually dealing with anger. I can't believe this. This is not, we shouldn't be talking about that. And I don't know, maybe some of that stems from like bad experiences, or maybe you've been exposed like pushing and unloving strategies, right? Where it's just all about getting people to say words that you, you know, con them into saying. But, you know, in your mind, maybe right now you're thinking, you know, yippee, another opportunity for awkward moments, you know, in the lives of people. (laughs) Cannot wait, (laughs) you know? Um, But, you know, maybe you feel like you're not prepared to talk to others about the gospel and about who Jesus is. And what happens is for a lot of us is we actually struggle to love other people this way, this way that Jesus is talking about, right? Because, right, there's questions. Is it really loving to tell other people that the ideals and the values that they hold so dearly are actually wrong? Is that, is that loving? Is it loving to do that? Is it, is it really loving to let people know? Right? That maybe they're having like the best day ever, and you come along, and you're like, do you know that without Christ, you're going to be eternally separated from God? Is that, 
Is that really loving, right? And so maybe in your mind you go, maybe the best way we can love each other is to just leave each other alone. Right? Maybe that's the best way to love one another. Is you just like you do you, I'll do me, and, and we'll just go that route, and that's how it is, right? When you think about telling other people or talking to other people about Jesus, maybe questions and doubts pop up in your mind, kind of amplifying, cranking up the fear. You feel afraid. And you might be asking, like, well, okay, if I have a conversation with this person about Jesus Christ, um, what is this conversation going to cost me? Could this potentially change my reputation with this person or with the people that they're connected to? Right? Are they going to see me differently? Am I going to be labeled like this fanatic, you know, uh, religious, crazy person? Uh, you know, is that what's going to happen? Are people going to start acting different around me if I start talking about Jesus being the central hope, right? the greatest person that's ever entered into my life? Maybe for you it's pride. Maybe pride gets in the way. Maybe you're afraid you're going to be humiliated in the process, right? And, and what's going through your mind is, what if someone asks a question that I can't answer? What, what if someone raises a counterpoint uh, against my beliefs and I don't know how to respond to them or I've actually never even heard or thought of what it is that they're bringing up to me? What if that happens? What am I going to do? I'm going to sit here looking like a punk and I'm not, you know, that I, I don't want to do that, Right? How might my friendships with this person or these people change, right? Will it be weird? Will they start to distance themselves from me? Will they stop talking with me? Will I be judged for my beliefs? Will talking about Jesus actually kill my opportunities for advancement in my job or in my company or in my school? Am I going to be stiff-armed from being a part of different things? Am I going to stop being invited uh, to different things if people realize that I am a follower of Jesus, Right? I think all of these things well up for many of us when we start thinking about sharing the gospel, when we start thinking about evangelism, we start thinking about making disciples where we live, and, and we end up going, I, just, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, I'm not sure that I have it in me to love people the way that Jesus is talking about loving people. Can I tell you something? You're right. You don't have what it takes to love people the way that Jesus is talking about. I don't have what it takes to love people, right? On my own, I don't have what it takes to love people the way that Jesus is asking me to. It's like asking a fish to climb a tree, right? We just can't do it. It's like asking the toddler to slam dunk on the NBA rim and going, they can't do it. They're horrible. It's like asking, expecting me to order a salad when I'm at Frickers. It ain't happening, right? It ain't happening, Okay? I just don't have it in me. I don't have it in me. And so the same way, right? You, we, we don't have it in us to love the way that Jesus is talking about in here. The way that the Bible calls us to love. We, we can't do it. But there is one who did. There's one who did. Jesus did. Right? Jesus loved people in exactly the way that he asks all of his disciples and all of his followers to love others. You know that? Right? Jesus actually invites us to do the very thing that he has already done. By the way, Jesus still loves us the exact same way today. His love is unchanging in that regards.
And so I think part of our hesitation to love others the way that Jesus did and the way that he asked is partly I think we have a bit of a misunderstanding of what love is, right? And please don't break into Tina Turner's, uh, Riley. This is not the moment for that. I don't know some of you guys are going, mm, 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 mm. some of you guys are now on big wheels, keep on turning. Uh, but you know, whatever, whatever. Um, but I do think that part of our hesitation, we don't really understand, we, we have a misunderstanding of what love is. We don't really understand that. And so for many of us, what we do is we understand love to be this really, really intense emotion that we have for people who are close to us. When we think about love, we think about the emotions we have for our spouses, who we have for our children, that we have for our very close friends, for our parents, for our family, right? People have journeyed with us uh, through life over many, many years, maybe even decades. And so when we think about love, we think about those intense emotions, this great, fierce, passionate emotion for other people around us. And when Jesus says, I want you to love others, I want you to love one another in this way, we enter in with that definition and we go, how in the world am I supposed to love everyone with that kind of passion, with that kind of emotion, with that kind of intensity? I can't do that. You're asking me to have that kind of feeling, that emotion for people I don't even know. I can't do that. That's impossible. And it sounds exhausting. I don't think I'd want to. We have to understand, yes, intense emotion can be a part of love. And oftentimes, especially people that we're close to, but hear this, hear this. Love is not exclusive to intense passion, okay? Let me say that again, because that is a very, very important concept for us to push it back against, right, how, how many of us think in the world and define love. Love can include this really, really intense emotion, but love is not limited to intense emotion, okay? It can include it, but it's not limited to intense emotion. In fact, what Jesus does in verse 13, he gives us this really crystal clear definition of what love is, Right, right here. He says this. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here's, here's how Jesus defines love. This is the way he defines it. He says this. Love is unselfish commitment to another that gets displayed through actions. That's what love is. Love is unselfish commitment to another that gets displayed through action. And so Jesus says, listen, the greatest love, it's actually unselfish. It's, it's actually not about me. The greatest love actually isn't even about me. Also, genuine love, it's going to cost you. Actually, it might cost, cost you quite a bit sometimes. There are going to be moments when love will actually look like a sacrifice in which the cost seems greater than the return. Sometimes love will look like that. Where you're going, why would you do that? You're never going to get a return on what you're investing here. That's, this kind of love will look like that sometimes. The kind of love that Jesus describes here is generous. It seeks to give as opposed to receive, Right? Real love, what Jesus is saying here is real love will lead you to move. Genuine love will lead you to act. Biblical love will lead you to give up comfort. The love that Jesus is describing will lead you to lay aside pride. This kind of love will actually invite you to deny yourself. 
This is the kind of love that Jesus is exposing. Now, doesn't that sound easier than just emotion? Let me go, uh, no. <laughs> that sounds even harder. That sounds even more impossible. Before, I was just thinking about having really intense emotion for people. Now you're asking me to go this other thing. Listen, I hope your message gets you a lot better, because it's not starting out real great, okay? Uh, listen, I think you need to go back and do some more study here. It's been a little bit unhelpful. But listen, this, this is the kind of love that Jesus, you have to catch this. this. This love that Jesus is describing, that's the kind of love that he loves you with. It's the kind of love that he loves me with. And he asks his disciples to love the same way. So you have to understand what Jesus did, right? Jesus, through unselfish commitment, okay, you got to catch this. Jesus, through unselfish commitment to us, he took action by entering into our world, entering into our darkness, entering into our brokenness, right? He came into our sin-filled neighborhood. Think about this. The infinite God of light wrapped himself in flesh. And he limited himself through Christ to a single place and a single time through the sun, right? Jesus suffered walking. Think about that. Think about a God who's never, right? He's like, he's walking on his creation now. And he's suffering walking. He's suffering getting tired, needing to rest because the flesh is weak. He's suffering, right? Sweating, Hunger, tiredness, right? All of the things, right? And that's just some of the physical stuff. That doesn't include anything else. Because, right, Hebrews talks about the fact that Jesus was tempted and tried in every single way that we have, yet was without sin. Never fell short even once. But Jesus deals with all of these things. Jesus faced people who opposed his teaching and his ministry, right? And yet, Every single step of the way, Jesus lived in perfect submission to God's leadership, never even once going off and doing his own thing. Right? He walked, he stayed in step with God all the time. And you know what the Bible calls that? The Bible refers to that as righteousness. When we talk about Jesus living under the submission of of God every step of the way, never failing, never falling short, never doing his own thing, that's righteousness. That's, that's what real, true righteousness is, this healthy relationship underneath God's leadership. Jesus never did one thing wrong. And you have to catch this. Jesus never sinned once, and that pathway led him to the cross. You got to catch that. There's so many implications behind that. I do not have time to talk about it. I wish I did. But Jesus followed everything that God asked him to do, and it led him to the cross. All right? To die in our place, to die for our sin, to die for our desire for rebellion against God, to die for our actions in rebellion against God. He did that for us. He did it for me. He did it for you. Right? This, when we're talking about this is this is Jesus. This is the king, the sovereign king over all the universe, who, whom through all of creation came into being. Literally, we are held together because Jesus sustains us. That's this, that's this person. And in the process, it cost him everything. He lost his re- reputation as a respected rabbi. Jesus was humiliated before his mother, before his friends, before his peers, before his enemies, right? Nailed to the cross, naked, on display for everybody to watch him struggle, to suffer Right? To just even try to draw a breath. 
And that's just, that's just the physical side of that. Now the other side, now you've got the side that we didn't even, you can't even really see it in, in, right in front of you. Then the other side is you have Jesus being judged by the Father. Jesus standing condemned alone in our place. Jesus facing separation from the Father. Why have you forsaken me? Right? Because he stands in our place for our sin, condemned in our place. And he was killed. Why? To love me. To love you. To pay our penalty. To cover our debt. To face the wrath of God alone by himself in our place, even though he himself never did anything. For him to follow through with that requires unselfish commitment to us. And Jesus did it. He did it. So the question is, what sources that kind of love? How do you, do, how do you step into that? Well, in verses 9 through 11... Jesus exposes it right before he talks about this definition of love. He says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? overflow. And so the love Jesus invites us into, you have to see this, the love that Jesus actually invites us into is the love that the Son already experiences, right, with the Father. And so the reason that Jesus can love us the way that he does is he's already in that love. He's already in that relationship that displays this unselfish commitment to one another that gets played out through action. And he says, listen, that kind of love, this kind of love that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit enjoy, this leads to joy. This is the kind of love that leads to serving others. This kind of love actually empowers great acts of unselfishness on behalf of other people. And so what Jesus does is he dies on the cross, revealing his unselfish commitment to us, all right? And then what happens is the Father reveals his love for the Son and for us by raising Jesus from the dead, okay? You gotta, you gotta see this. And the fact that Jesus is alive means that he really is God's Son, right? That God really does love Jesus. He is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And it also means that he really has conquered sin and death. And that those who put their faith in him, who put their trust in him, who put their hope in him, will live too, forever. That's what all of this is pointing to, right? And so it's like, why would Jesus do all of that, right? Come into our world, pay a debt that didn't belong to him, go through all of that thing. Why would he do that? And I'm going to say it, and you're going, yeah, duh, we know that. But you got to hear it. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves me. And what happens is actually without Jesus is we end up always being on the outside of that love relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus is the only door, the only access in to that relationship. You can't get there any other way, 
right? You actually can't even get a glimpse of that from the outside. The only way you get that is when you step in, right? By grace, through faith in Jesus. Then that door gets open to his joy, his love. Joy comes flooding in. We have this healthy relationship with God. The Holy Spirit enters into our lives and we're able to like actually know him and to love him. And you know what happens? Both both in a, in a, in a uh, kind of a, like a technical sense, but then also in reality later in eternity, you know what happens? We're actually welcomed back into the garden to live the way we were designed to live. That's what happens here. That's what happens here through Jesus Christ. The invitation is opened back up to enter in the garden, to walk with God in the cool of the day, that he would be our God and we would be his people. That's what happens here. And so now... Now, by faith in Jesus and through this empowering work of the Holy Spirit, now we actually can love other people because we have this really clear picture of what real love looks like. We know that real love isn't only marked by super intense emotion love, or emotions, but rather real love is marked by selflessness. Real love is marked by commitment. Real love is given away to others, not held right, for myself only. That real love is displayed through action. That real love actually costs something. That's what real love looks like. And when you see what Jesus has done, when you see the agony, when you see the pain, when you see the humiliation, when you see the judgment, when you see the condemnation that Jesus faced for you, that he faced for me, when you see that, when you realize that Jesus has already faced the absolute worst, that Jesus has faced the wrath of God alone on our behalf, that Jesus has already faced the worst so that I could enjoy the best. You have to see that. And when you do, you go, what other response is there? Like, what other response is there but the love him back? like realizing everything that Christ has done. And listen, here's, here's what happens. You begin to realize that if Jesus has already faced the worst, and, and you, you, you got to catch that, okay? And I'm, that's not just like semantics. That's not just like this little play on words. Actually, Jesus has already faced the absolute worst that anybody could absolutely face, right? The full entire wrath of God for all sin, for all time, for all humanity placed on one person. That is the absolute worst, Right? I know some of you guys, like growing up, you're like, oh, getting dropped off in the mall by my parents and my friends see me, that's the worst. You're like, no, <laughs> no. And Jesus is going, okay, yeah, I guess there's a battle there. Wrath of God, people seeing your parents. Uh, you know, no, 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 no. Right, that's not the worst. Jesus has already faced the actual absolute worst. And so what that means is that every other single challenge that I will face, every other moment of suffering, every setback, everything that ever hurts again in my future is less than the worst. Because the worst has already been faced and conquered on my behalf. Now, it doesn't mean that the pain and the challenge and the suffering that you and I will go through doesn't matter or it has no place, or it doesn't hurt, or it's not legitimate. But what it means is it's actually not the worst. Because the worst has already been faced, right? Think about this. 
Everything else I'll ever face is less than the worst. But now I'm walking in the truth of who God is. I'm captured by Jesus' love. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit living within me. Now that enables me to face less than the worst. And so even if I do lose reputation for sharing the gospel, even if I am humiliated for my faith, even if conversations have this little awkward moment or I end up being judged, even if I end up dying for my faith, being literally killed because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I remember that God raised Jesus from the dead. And if I'm in him, then the scriptures tell me I've already been raised from the dead. And there's something better than anything else I'll face here waiting for me, right? Any suffering, any challenge, anything that even ends horribly still ends in victory, because I belong to him, and I'm his. And listen, Jesus goes, you got to catch this too. Listen, not only is all of that true, but also, did you know I chose you? You know you didn't like, like one day wake up and go, I think I need Jesus, right? It's not like some good idea you came up with after eating some bran flakes that morning, right? Like, like literally, Jesus says, I chose you, right? Look at verse 14. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. There it is again. Love one another. Love one another. See, the only way... Well, this is what Jesus is exposing. The only way you really begin loving others the way that Jesus is talking about is when you abide in Jesus' love for you. When you abide in Jesus' love for you. And so to abide literally means to remain. It means to dwell. It means to live in. It means to think deeply on. It means to never leave and to never forget all the things that Jesus has done for you already. You know what Jesus is actually talking about when he's talking about abiding and remaining, right? Those things. You know what he's saying practically for us? He's inviting us to meditate. He's actually inviting us to meditate, to think deeply about the gospel and then rejoice in it. Now, I'm not talking about meditation where you like clear your mind or you say the same word over and over again or, or some phrase and you repeat it mindlessly without any thought. Actually, biblical meditation is the exact opposite. It's not emptying your mind. It's actually filling your mind. It's, it's dumping so much of who God is and his character and what he's accomplished that you're just thinking deeply about who God is. Know it, right? And so this is what Jesus is saying. Know that I chose you. Understand that I chose you. I chose you. I invited you to follow me. I invited you to, to, to know me by faith. And when you know you've been chosen, when you think deeply on that, when you let that overwhelm you and you know that you've been chosen by Jesus to know him, to love him, and rely on him, you begin to see that that's very, very different from just simply trying really, really hard to be a better person and to not say bad words and you know, to not let your anger bubble out and those kinds of stuff. Jesus is talking about something completely different. He's not saying, well, if you're really good, maybe one day God will accept you. Listen, I know the depths of your sin. Do you realize what I've done to cover that? You've now been accepted not because of what you do. You're accepted because of what I've done on your behalf. And when you know that you're called friend, 
at the good choice of Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the natural outflow, Jesus says, is to love others, to live in a way that's unselfishly committed to others through actions, because love isn't about drumming up intense emotions for people that you don't even know. That's not what Jesus is talking about. You know what love becomes? It actually becomes a decision to serve other people and to point them to hope in Jesus Christ alone through the gospel. That's what that actually looks like. That's what Jesus is exposing here. And so some of you might be going, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? How do I start? How do I begin growing in unselfish commitment to others? Well, first, I think it's experience, not I think, first it is experiencing Jesus' love for yourself by saying yes to Jesus Christ as your forgiven leader. If you don't do that, you can't even begin to think about experiencing the love of Christ for yourself. It always starts there. But then, even after you come to faith, right? It's, it's what Jesus is already talking about. It's immersing ourselves in the gospel, It's diving deep into the gospel again and again and again, meditating, thinking deeply, intentionally, filling our minds with what Christ has done on our behalf, thinking deeply about what Jesus has done for me, filling my mind with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, inviting the gospel to overwhelm me until it thrills my soul. And you just, and you never, here's what happens you never graduate from the gospel. You never move on to something greater, better, more important. You have to know that. Like, it's, it's, that's, it's it. You, let, you enjoy it. You live in that. And you're like, you're thrilled by that. And then God begins to use you as a result in that way. So I think that's, that's, just the, that's the first, second way, just to dive into that. Another way you can begin taking steps of growing to love other people is to make the decision to help other people experience the gospel through ministry. Right? Just making the decision, right? You just decide. And again, it's not about intense passion and emotions. It's just saying, man, there are people who need to hear the gospel, and one of the best ways that I can love them is to actually share that with them, engage in conversation with them. Now, I want to share with you just a really quick opportunity that you have this summer to engage uh, in this kind of way. Uh, So Lighthouse Kids is launching a VBS this summer, um, and so you've got a real opportunity to be a part of a ministry that can touch lots and lots of people in our county. And so what I'd like you to do just for a moment, I'd like you to hear from one of our leaders uh, kind of sharing with you about this opportunity uh, to minister and share the gospel with some others. I'm Meredith, and I am super excited about BBS this year. We all experienced the dumpster fire that was 2020. Overnight, we all went from a world we knew to a new normal, to mass faces and social distancing, remote learning, and quarantine and our kids well they walked right alongside us throughout this entire time so when our team first got together and started discussing what it was we wanted the kids to take away from VBS this summer very quickly there was a consensus unchanging God we wanted the kids to know very deeply that they serve a God who does not change he is the same God who created the universe the same God who breathed air into Adam's lungs the same God who rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, the same God who gave Israel exactly what they wanted, a king, and the same God who sent his son to die a death he didn't deserve for sinners like me and like you. And he's the same God who will one day return and bring a perfect end to the disaster that we've made. He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And that's exactly what we wanted the kids to take away from VBS this year. Well, and maybe a cool craft. Oh, and of course, a verse that they can memorize and treasure in their heart 
Not to mention, what would BBS be without yummy snacks and fun games? And of course, silly songs that they can sing over and over and over again just for you. Our team is super excited about pouring into our normal kiddos, but we're also super excited about reaching out to the neighborhoods that surround Lighthouse Community. So if this is a place that you can see using your gifts, reach out to us on your Blue Connection card. All right, see, songs. You can, uh, yeah, some of you guys are going, oh, yeah, I know. What a great opportunity, you know, to think about uh, this right here, an opportunity to serve um, other people. Actually, if you remember just a few weeks ago, uh, our Lighthouse Kids director, Allie Brasky, was sharing a little bit. And one thing she talked about was the 4 to 14 window, right? Um, and so the 4 to 14 window is simply this, is that most people uh, come to, who say yes to Jesus Christ make that decision between the ages of 4 and 14 years old. And so what that means is the biggest mission field that we have right in front of us is here in Hancock County, right? It's, it's literally the thousands of kids who live here in our county to share the gospel with them. And so if you want to take a next step of, of just loving other people, being really clear on sharing the gospel, I would encourage you just to find out what would it look like to serve uh, this summer a few hours in VBS to help kids discover who Jesus Christ is. So there's a next step on the back of your card. If you pull that out and look at it, or if you're online, uh, you can find it there. Um, it says, man, I want to help reach the 50,000 through VBS this summer. And so think about this. God could use you to help a child, right? Maybe even an entire family come to faith in Jesus Christ. And just think about this for a moment as we're wrapping up here. Think about what it would be like to know that God used you to be a part of a movement right here in Hancock County. Like think about if God used you to help other people escape demolition day, right? That they're no longer under condemnation, but they're free and they're filled with joy in Jesus Christ. Listen, there, there are more than 50,000 people right here in our community who are living in spiritual darkness and living in spiritual blindness, and they're separated from God. And so you and I actually have an opportunity to jump in the game, right? We actually have an opportunity to join God in his mission to point people to hope in Jesus Christ alone. And so listen, a small step like partnering with VBS could be an amazing catalyst that God could use. Um, we're already seeing glimpses uh, of things like this take place. You might remember a few months ago, we had uh, two uh, young women who made a decision that they were going to launch a small group designed to dis- make disciples of young girls in, in elementary school, right, grade school. And so they didn't know if it was going to work or not, but they just started and they went after it. And so I think it was like 11 girls signed up for this first semester back in the winter semester of of this year. And so 11 girls were showing up. And what ended up happening was over the first six weeks of their group, nine girls said yes to Jesus Christ as their forgiver and leader, right? And now what's happened is that group actually continued into the spring semester. And again, over this first six weeks, right, just, just this last couple of weeks right here, three new girls have started coming to this small group. And here's the real kicker. So there's one young girl who came at the very, very beginning in the winter, and she's learning who Jesus Christ is, and she's discovering the gospel, and, and, and you know, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, one day, she ended up sharing the gospel with one of her friends, told her who Jesus was, what that meant, what that looked like, what he'd been doing in her life. And you know what happened? Her friend 
said yes to Jesus Christ, right? Like these are kids in grade school and they're sharing the gospel with one another and kids are like coming to faith. And guess what? Now she's coming to the group now so she can learn more about who Jesus Christ is. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. It's unselfish commitment to others. That's disciples bearing fruit. I mean, man, to be a part of that is remarkable. And so love one another as Jesus has loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And We close every Sunday asking this question, Jesus, what are you saying to me right now? And I just want to give you an opportunity to listen. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with this idea of what like genuine biblical love that you've exposed for us looks like. I praise you that you did not hold back, but you laid that out for all of us to see with great clarity. Thank you. I praise you that you have shown us what genuine love looks like. And, and I have to confess, and maybe there are some friends who would find themselves in a similar position, that there are too many times in my own life where I am leaning on the world's version or my understanding of what love is. It's being limited to like intense emotions. And yet, you may be leading us to overwhelmingly great acts of love that are simply born out of obedience because of what you ask us to do. And so I would simply ask you, Jesus, would you teach us how to abide in your love? Holy Spirit, would you guide us on what it looks like to abide in the love of the Father and the love of the Son and the love of the Holy Spirit? Would would you empower us and give us the courage to intentionally dive deep and to think deeply, intentionally, oh, to overwhelm ourselves with with the gospel and your love and what you've done and what you've accomplished and, and how you stood in our place and the fact that you did die and you're alive today. Let us be overwhelmed by you, I pray. And that would be the source of our love for one another. Not loving each other out of guilt, not loving each other out of compulsion, not even loving one another because that's the right thing to do or that's how you live in a decent society, but rather we would love one another. We would be marked by your love, your selflessness, your generosity, your commitment, your perseverance. And we would take steps of action, trusting you all the way. We worship you alone. You're the only one who's worthy of it. And we ask these things in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook.
You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.